Good morning, everyone. I have a verse to share with you this morning, then we'll pray. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witness both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. Let's pray together. So, Lord, we want to say thank you for meeting us in very obvious ways, in very obvious places, and sometimes not so obvious ways and not so obvious places. Lord, I know you've brought people here today who are suffering. It's not so much what other people have done to them, but it's how they feel about themselves. And because they feel this way about themselves, it reflects on other people. Lord, I want to pray for them this morning. Lord, I want to pray healing in Jesus' name. Lord, would you surprise us? I know they came this morning not expecting this prayer, not expecting that they would be healed from the way the bad way that they feel about themselves. Lord, would you bring healing in this moment to these lives? Lord, let it be. Surprise them in this, Lord. Let this be, let this be something amazing that you do in their lives this morning. And Lord, would you do this as well? Would you remind us that we are witnesses for you in the world? Would you remind us that we are your hands and feet and that you have a purpose for us as believers in giving testimony of you? And so, Lord, remind us of those things this morning. Inspire us, Lord, and impart that which you want us to hear from you this morning. Lord, we're praying it so. And as a congregation, Lord, we pray that you would do something beautiful here this morning. Lord, we've I've prayed individually, I've prayed with other groups, and now we're praying as a congregation for this particular message that comes from your word. Lord, change us. Change us, Lord. Don't leave us alone. But Lord, do your work this morning. Convict, restore, give hope, uh, direct, encourage. Lord, that which needs to happen, translate my words into that which is needed by your people today. And Lord, those things which are of you, let them take root in our lives. Let them yield fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. And those things which are not from you this morning, Lord, let them be quickly forgotten. And we're going to give you all the glory and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning from Acts 1-8, I just want to talk to you just a little bit about being a witness for Jesus Christ. Like many things in the Bible, witnessing is often misunderstood. It reminds me of the middle-aged man who was praying to God for a new sports car. And when it didn't seem like it was coming, he was thinking, well, maybe God doesn't work this way, so I'll steal the car and ask forgiveness. <laughs> Not really understanding how, how God works in those ways. Or the young boy who, after his baptism in a, in a statement of excitement, I will never sin again. And his old sage pastor responded, son, son, 
For that, I would have had to held you under a lot longer. So there are those things about the Bible and about God that we often misunderstand. And I think witnessing is one of those things. And what does it mean and what it means to be a witness? I think at times we think being a witness means that we have to be an evangelist or gifted in evangelism. When indeed it doesn't. You see, God gifts some with evangelism. If you enjoy winning people to Christ, you're probably an evangelist. If you don't enjoy that, you're probably a witness because God calls us all to be witnesses, but only some to be evangelists. So you don't have to be an evangelist. Another misunderstanding is that we have to get someone to do something that they don't want to do. Well, that's not true either. We're just giving testimony of the things that God has done in our life. What they do with that is between them and God. Here's something else that we often think. We have to have all the answers. The truth of the matter is, you don't have to have any answers. We simply report on what God has done in our lives, what God has done in other people's lives, and what God has revealed to us. Here's another one. We have to behave like an extrovert even though we're not one. That's not the case either. God uses introverts as well. We have to close the deal or we have somehow failed. We have to be extra holy or have special training. You know, all God really asks from us is that we be real. Nobody expects us to be perfect unless we expect ourselves to be perfect, you know. Nobody cares if we're imperfect as long as we admit that we're imperfect. Our children growing up, we always used to say them often at bedtime when we were praying for them and putting them to bed, We'd often say, you know, God is so much bigger. He's so much better than your mom and dad. Just remember that. Just remember God is so much bigger than what you see in your mom and dad. We're trying to live an example before you, but just remember this. God is so much bigger, so much better than what you see in your mom and dad. And we always try to make it a point to ask forgiveness from our kids. That we're not perfect. They knew we were Christians. They knew I was a pastor. They were part of our family. But I always thought if I couldn't be perfect, at least I could be forgiven. And so I would always ask them for their forgiveness. Would you forgive me for the way I acted? And you know, sometimes, excuse the bit of a digression here in the beginning, sometimes we think our kids forget that we misbehaved. They never forget. My oldest is 42 now. Yes, I was married when I was 14. <laughs> My oldest of 42 still remembers things that I did that I misbehaved when he was, he was young. Our family remembers, our coworkers remember, people remember, and as long as they remember, we can still ask forgiveness. Hey, remember six years ago when I did that? I want you to forgive me. I want you to forgive me. You know, that tells them that you're real. That tells them that you're a real person. You're not a phony, phony, uh, uh, holier-than-thou person. You're a real person. I want you to forgive me. I, I misbehave. I want you to forgive me. So none of those things really apply to the idea of witnessing. In essence, I've already alluded to it a couple times. In essence, this is what 
a witness is, the witness of Christ is. It's simply recounting what we've seen, what we've heard, and what's been revealed to us. In fact, Jesus says these words. Speak of, testify of the things you've seen and the things you've heard and the things that have been revealed to you. Now, many years ago, I was a part of a court case. A girl had stepped off our church bus, gotten hit by a car, and the, and the girl's family was suing me, suing the church, and suing the city because it was a city truck that hit her. And so when I went to court, all they wanted to hear from me was what I knew. That's all they wanted to hear. They just wanted to hear of what I heard, what I saw. That's all they wanted to hear. And so there, was, there wasn't even any need for me to prepare. I could just tell them what I've seen and what I've heard. In the same way, being the witness of Christ simply means speaking of the things we've seen and the things we heard and the New Testament adds and the things that have been revealed to us. Now, this would be one thing if Jesus had spoken these words to his disciples because they saw these things. They saw Jesus walking on earth. They were part of his teaching. They were part of his illustrative life. They saw all these things. But all three of these admonitions are given to Paul. They're given to one who had never walked with Christ. He had never, I mean, at least in the flesh, he had never walked with Christ. And he's saying to Paul, Paul, the things you've heard, declare whatever that might be. And in all our lives, there's things that we've heard. And the things that you've seen, testify of these things. And Paul did. But he added this other one, and the things that have been revealed to you. I think sometimes we forget this. That God is revealing things to his people that he's not revealing to anybody else. Remember this when Jesus said this? His disciples came to him and said, why do you talk in parables? And he says, because to these people it's been hidden, but to you it's been revealed. He says that in a number of places. He says, prophets of old have longed to look into these mysteries, but they have been revealed to you. Guys, there are things as New Testament believers that have been revealed to us that people of history have longed to look into, but now we know them. We know them. They've been revealed to us. And so God asks us to simply share those things. Simply share the things that you've heard and the things that you've seen and the things that have been revealed to you. It's just giving testimony of those things. We don't have to be evangelists. We don't have to know everything in the Bible. We don't have to have all the answers. None of those things matter. Just give testimony of the things God has done in your life. Can you do that? Amen. That's something we can all do. Just give testimony. But here are some practical things that I want to leave with you this morning. A few practical things on being the witness for Jesus Christ. Here they are. There are actually four of them that I want to give to you. Um, these are attributes of the witness of Jesus Christ. So for those that are taking notes, let me give you all four at once, and then you'll, you'll kind of know where we're going. So the first one is this, knowing. First one is knowing. I'll explain that in a little bit. That's the first attribute, knowing. The second attribute is going. So we got knowing and going. You can probably see where this is going. The third attribute is 
Sewing. Someone was in the first service. Sewing. So we got knowing, we got going, we got sewing, and the last attribute is sewing. Sewing. There we go. Knowing, going, sewing, and sewing. Number one attribute that we are knowing. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus calls his disciples to be with him. And he says this in verse 13. And he went up on the mountain and he summoned those whom he had himself wanted and they came to him. And he appointed 12 so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach and to have authority and to cast out demons. And it says in a couple chapters later, and to heal the sick. Now, when I read those words, the first thing I think of is casting out demons. I've actually been in those kind of settings before, and they're not that fun to be in, actually. They're just a little frightening to me. But you will cast out demons. You'll have authority over demons. And you'll preach the gospel. And implicit in that statement is, is that there are going to be people that are going to come to Christ. And we know during this time of the church that there were waves and waves and waves. Thousands and thousands of people would come at a time as, as Christianity spread first in Jerusalem and then Samaria and Judea and then into Europe and all across the world eventually. But here in Mark chapter 3, it talks about first these disciples being called not to heal the sick, not to cast out demons, not to have authority, not to preach the gospel, but called first to be with him. This was their first calling. And this is the affirmation of the New Testament. Before we think about anything God's called us to do. Now, the, the Bible says that God gifts us all, that God gives special gifting to each uh, born-again believer. Each believer in him, he gives special gifting. What that gifting might be, um, who knows? But each of us have a particular gifting. But before we do anything for Christ, before we operate in our gift, before we do anything for him, before we're ever a witness, God called us to be with him. He called 12 to be with him and then to send them out. So this first calling that we have is to be with him, to spend time with him, to be near his side. This is his desire for us, that we walk with him because everything flows out of our relationship with him. Remember the Remember the scripture in John chapter 15, the vine and the branches? Remember that passage where Jesus is talking about fruit. He's talking about yielding fruit in our lives. And here's the progression. Fruit, more fruit, much fruit. That's the progression in the opening, opening uh, verses there in chapter 15. Fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. And near the end of this section, Jesus says, my father is glorified in this, that you bear much fruit. So not just fruit, not just more fruit, much fruit. This, by this, my father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. This is God's desire for us, that we bear much fruit. But here's the key, abiding in him. He says, I am the vine, 
You are the branches. You cannot, you cannot yield fruit apart from me. And then he ends that section by saying, without me, you can do nothing. I mean, pretty blunt, right? Without me, you can do nothing. This is God's call on our lives, that we be with him, that we draw close to him, that this is the one thing that Pastor Tom always talks about, that one thing. You know, that, that from the passage of Martha and Mary where Jesus goes to their house and Martha's busy with all sorts of things. She's distracted by all sorts of things. But Mary took that place at Jesus' feet. And Jesus says to her, to, Mar- to Martha, just this one thing is necessary. Just this one thing is necessary. Guys, make sure you understand that, that Jesus isn't hitting on being busy. Jesus is hitting on being distracted by your busyness. That if your busyness takes you away from one thing, if it takes you away from devotion to him, then you're too busy. But there's nothing wrong with being busy in and of itself. It's when it takes us away from him. Because in him, everything else flows. Everything else in our life, every other promise we claim in the Bible, everything else flows out of that relationship with him. And so he calls us to a deep and meaningful relationship, a daily walk with him. So many years ago when I was in Bible college, um, I had an instructor whose name was Don Meyer. We called him Dean Mother or Dean Meyer, not Dean Mother. (laughs) Dean Meyer. We called him Dean Meyer. But in those days, uh, at our particular school, as kind of a a more... uh, uh, fraternal type of greeting to the professors. We call him brother, brother Meyer. And everybody, it was either brother or sister in those days. So this was brother Meyer. And brother Meyer taught freshman Pentateuch. That's the first five books of the Bible in the chapel. So in a setting like this to three or 400, I don't know, really know how many it was, but freshmen, there we were all in the chapel. And uh, brother Meyer was our instructor. He was also the the. Uh, academic dean of the college. And when he, this was first hour at, uh, um, trying to remember now, 7.30 in the morning. First hour, 7.30 in the morning. Three or four hundred freshmen out there, you know, uh, you know, talking and being exuberant. And Dean Meyer, Brother Meyer, would walk to the podium to begin his lecture, and one person would see him, and they would go quiet. And they would notice that there's a quietness over here. And then all of a sudden, within like 30 seconds, the room just went... And he had their full attention. I mean, he was, just, he was just a man that commanded respect. And he would begin to teach, and it was, it was always something very, very good. Years later, I read on Brother Meyer's Facebook page about an incident with his grandson. His grandson was a freshman in college. Of course, this is many, many years later from when I was in college. His grandson is a freshman in college, and he's having trouble with his computer. Now, rarely do grandchildren call grandparents to answer questions about computers. But I think because Don Meyer was an academic dean and then a president of another Bible college, that he thought, well, my grandpa probably has an in, you know, with these academic things, so I'm going to call him and ask him about my computer problem. So he calls, he calls Dean Meyer, Don Meyer, he calls him. 
I got this problem with my computer. It doesn't want to go on. And so Brother Meyer says to him, well, is it plugged in? He says, yes, it's plugged in. Is the on switch on? Yes, the on switch is on. Well, try this. Try this. Unplug it from the wall and plug something else in. Make sure you're getting power at the wall. So he unplugs it from the wall, plugs something else in, and it goes on. He says, oh, okay, so now you got power. Okay, try the, try the power switch on the, on the screen. So he tries the power switch on the screen. Nothing. I mean, the thing is dead. He can't figure out what's wrong, and his grandpa says, I, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't help you. So he says, oh, okay. A few hours later, he gets a call back from his grandson. He says, I can't figure it out for the life of me. He said, I'm going to go out and get a new pu- computer. His grandpa, Don Meyer, says, no, don't do that. And as grandparents will do from time to time, he took a, a little bit over an hour drive to go to his dorm room to help him solve the problem. So he gets in his car, he runs down to this college that his grandson was at, goes up to his dorm room and, you know, pushes the switch. No, that doesn't work. Puts the switch on the, on the screen. No, that doesn't work. Check the thing. Yeah, it's plugged into the wall. That doesn't work. So they both get underneath the desk and they start pulling out all the wires and getting them out on the floor and making sure everything's hooked. This is what they found. Okay, how many of you know that's a problem, right? (laughs) You know, in the same way, isn't that often how we live our lives? Is that we're not abiding in the power source. And so we try to do all these things that were intended to happen by his power, by his strength flowing through us, by abiding in him, that just don't seem to work. Greg, this doesn't work. I mean, I hear what you're saying, but this doesn't work. Here's here's the starting point. Get plugged in to him. Make your devotion to him a daily thing. Walk with him. Be be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. You know, I I think of Daniel in the Old Testament who prayed morning, noon, and night. Or like Paul in the New Testament, who prayed continually, it says. Could we have such a relationship, such a closeness, such an abiding, that we can walk with him? If we can, there will be other things, many things, all things spiritual, that will flow out of that, including being the witness that he wants us to be. So this first step is absolutely essential. You know, I think of it kind of like those, one of those games that you have to roll like a seven before you can actually start playing the game. You know, and you're going around, people are rolling sevens and they're getting out and they're starting the game and you're waiting, when am I going to roll a seven? You know, so I can start playing the game, you know, sort of thing. This has to happen first. This has to happen where we have an abiding relationship with him. Guys, if you don't know it already, this changes everything. This changes everything. This makes our life meaningful, purposeful, joy-filled, gives us a sense of intentionality about our lives because we're wondering, God, what are you going to do next? God is speaking things to us, seems to speak things to us more often because we're meeting with him more often. And so let me just say this about being the witness for Jesus Christ, that we start by knowing him. It's an essential part. Jesus called his disciples to be with him and to send them out. Let's remember that order.
So the second thing is, the first thing is knowing. Of course, the second thing is going. This is the great commission of Christ. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria until the ends of the earth. In another place, in Matthew 28, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. To Philip, he says, uh, the angel of the Lord speaking, get up and go south on the road to Gaza. And when he got there, he saw the Ethiopian eunuch. He said, go up to the carriage. So there are a number of these going statements uh, in the New Testament that speak of this action that his witnesses take. I think going involves these three things. Three things in this point of going. Let me give them to you quickly. First of all, intentionality. Intentionality. I put down here motive, means, and method. But motive really means intentionality. You will be my witnesses. I have called you to be fishers of men. We know what God has called us to be. We know what God's called us to do, to be these fishers of men. It gives us a sense of intentionality. I think of Paul and Peter going up to the temple, on their way to the temple to do who knows what, maybe to pray or break bread or who knows what they were doing up at the temple. But on their way, they see a man begging on the side and they say, they say, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give unto you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And the guy rares, rises up and walks and begins to leap and shout and praise God for the things he's done. I think they were being intentional about their faith. They just weren't on the way to the temple on the beeline They knew that God could speak at any moment. God could say anything along the way. They were looking for it. There was some sense of intentionality in their lives. I wear this thing on my wrist and another thing on this wrist. Now you might ask, Greg, why do you wear two things? Good friend of mine always teases me about wearing two watches. Oh, I see you're still wearing two watches. This is a watch. This is a Fitbit. You know what a Fitbit is? It's a pedometer. It keeps track of your steps. Now, I, for the most part, have an office job. I sit at my desk all day. And so often I try to get in. Someone told me anything under 10,000 steps is uh, um, uh, sedentary. Anything under 10,000 steps, you have a sedentary lifestyle. You need to get more active than that. So I'm like, I bet I'm way under. There's afternoons, like 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I'll look down at my Fitbit, 1,300 steps. I'm on my way to 10,000. The day's almost over. So what I often do, I'll be a little bit more intentional about it. I'll get up out of my desk. If I see my steps low, I'll get up out of my desk. My office is in the basement. I'll, I'll walk down to the end of the hall in the basement. I'll go down in the family room. I'll cut across the back of the family room. I'll go up this tower over here, up the first flight of steps to where we are, up the second flight of steps in the balcony, across the balcony. I'm not running, I'm walking. Across the balcony, I'm going down this tower, first flight of steps, second flight of flips, down, uh, steps, and I'm going across the back, and I'll do that until I have the right number of steps. Now, of course... I'm bringing memory cards with me. I'm memorizing verses. I'm uh, praying at times. And sometimes I even bring my Bible to read my Bible. Okay, now that can be dangerous. Um, I'm really careful going down steps and stuff, you know. And it's a little hard. You see, the, you see everything moving by you. You're focused on the page. You can actually get a little dizzy too if you're not, you know, if you're not really, you know, focused. And so, so I do all these things to get those steps in. Sandy, my wife Sandy, she has a Fitbit too. And she's always in competition with me. How many steps do you have? How many steps do you have? Just between you and me, sometimes I inflate it just a little bit. 
Oh, I got pretty close to 5,000. Oh, so what are you saying? 4,200. Yeah. But Sandy, she takes this serious. I mean, like, I came home last night from a trip. I got home about 9 o'clock. She was making me a little something to eat. She's on the other side of the the, uh, island. I'm on this side eating. And as I'm talking to her, she's doing this. I go, what are you doing? She goes, I'm in competition uh, on, my, on my steps. Uh, you're in competition? Who are you in competition with? She goes, there's people right here on your, online that you can be in competition with. I'm in competition with two people. I go, well, what's, what's going on? She goes, this guy, this guy, he, he I don't know what he does. I, she thinks he puts her, his, his uh, Fitbit on his dog. <laughs> Let's his dog run around. She goes, he's really slow during the day, but then at night, it's just like he gets all these points. I always get behind in the morning. I wake up in the morning, check, and I fell behind. I'd lost the competition. So she's like, nine o'clock at night, she's like this on the other side. I'm getting my steps up, you know, sort of thing. And then oftentimes, uh, like uh, at night, we'll turn on the TV before we go to bed. We'll watch TV in bed. And uh, during commercials, she'll get up beside the bed and, you know, she's, (laughs) commercial's over, she'll lay back down and, you know, start. This is all it is, guys. It's just being intentional. It's just being intentional. Pastor Tom here recently wanted us to share Christ more. When I say us, I mean the pastoral staff. And so he's been encouraging us to to share Christ more. And you know what? Just that little encouragement has really helped me. It's really helped me in this way, that it's given me a sense of intentionality. That I'm always looking, I'm always looking where I can share Jesus and the things that Jesus has done in my life. So when the Bible talks about going, I think at its root is this first thing is intentionality. The second thing is means. Means how are we propelled into going? I think this is obvious from Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power. Now sometimes we make that to be a bigger deal than it really is. You know, like we all got to be these, these supernatural evangelists or something. And that's not the case. The Holy Spirit, that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Now, no matter how full of the Spirit you feel or how low of the Spirit you feel, that same Spirit which raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. And so there is something, I believe this with all my heart, there is something that God uses in our lives, even even if we're feeling completely drained, completely emptied, not very spiritual at all, that if we'll step out in this way, God will use this in the most amazing and spectacular ways. Let me tell you a quick story. Just came to me. I really should. So when I first came to the Lord, I thought the thing to do was to be an evangelist. So I was telling everybody about Jesus. And uh, in our church, the pastor wanted to take people out doing door-to-door evangelism. Now this is back in the, this would be back in the early 80s. So back in those days, there were actually these crazy Jesus people that would do that. You know, they'd actually go door-to-door, knock on the door and, you know, hey, can we talk to you about Jesus? You know, sort of thing. So we're out doing this one night. It was me, my pastor, and Sandy, the three of us. And as young 
Christians, you're just praying that nobody's home. I mean, you, you're just praying that, God, don't let anybody be here. You know, let's, let's just go to the next door. And, and then when you get to that door, you're praying, God, don't let anybody be here either, you know. But, you know, God never really listened to that prayer, and there's always people there. So we go up to this one house. Our pastor knocks on the door. Nobody's coming. I'm just saying, thank you, God. Nobody's coming. You know, he knocks again. I'm just thinking, stop knocking on the door. (laughs) Finally, someone comes to the door. A young lady wrapped in a towel. Her hair is still wet. It looks like she just got out of the shower. And she's got a single towel wrapped around her. Her wet hair falling on her bare shoulders. I'm like, I'm out of here. <laughs> the pastor, he's undaunted. He goes, he goes, well, we're out today talking about the Lord. Can we come in and talk to you? She goes, Sure. Here we are, the three of us, sitting in her, in her living room, talking to her about Jesus. She's got her, she's got her legs tucked up underneath her, sitting on the couch, with one small towel wrapped around her body. I'm just like, Lord, what, what am I doing here? I'm never doing this again. We ended up leading that woman to the Lord. She ended up attending church, bringing her kids to the church. They became active members in our church. When I was thinking, no, no, the pastor was, the pastor was saying, yeah, let's, let's, let's sow, some, sow some seeds here and see if anything comes of it. We don't know the part that we're going to play. I mean, it could be something very, very simple that transforms someone's life. Amen? Okay, so that's, that's the means undergoing. And then finally, just a method. Let me be very practical for a moment. Having a method really encourages us, really um, uh, builds confidence in our lives. And so I would encourage you, number one, come out of the closet. Number one, come out of the closet. Let people around you know that you're a believer. I like what brother, uh, brother, I like what Ed uh, Ainsworth said last week. Just bring a Bible and put it on your desk. That's all you need to do. (laughs) People will ask you questions. What's with the Bible? And his Bible was huge, I noticed. You know, bring the big, bring your family Bible, you know, that's that thick. Lay it on your desk, you know. People will be asking questions about that. But come out of the closet. Many times all that you have to do is let people know that you're a believer and everything changes. Everything changes. Um, I would encourage you, too, to just learn like a three-minute stump speech or some call it an elevator talk where you just give, you can be able to give your testimony in three minutes. Dave Bechtold, who was up here giving announcements this morning, he used to have a little track that he wrote, and the name of the track was Why I Am So Weird. That was Dave's track. It was just a little tiny testimony of, of what God had done in his life that he would hand out, out to people. It, it could be that simple that you just have a little thing prepared in case someone asks you what happened. I was sharing Christ with someone one day, and they asked me, oh, was that when you were, I mean, I was sharing my testimony, and they said, oh, is that when you were born again? I'm like, where did they come up with that term? You know, born again, you know, sort of thing. I said, yeah, that, that's when I was born again. You never know. Uh, and then learn a gospel presentation. If you, don't, 
If you don't have a gospel presentation, these are available online. Uh, Pastor Tom is teaching a small course on uh, the bridge, which is just a gospel outline that you can give. Uh, Four Spiritual Laws is an old one that you can still find, I'm pretty sure, which is a little bit easier. But guys, just remember that this thing is just about sharing what God has done for you. All these extra things, they're just if you, if you have the time and you have the interest. The main thing is, is sharing what God has done in your life. So that's going. Going involves intentionality. Number three, sowing. What is sowing? Sowing is just casting your seed upon the water. Now remember as the sower went, there was, there was uh, the road, there was rocky soil, there was the thorny soil, and there was a good soil. So there's all these different kinds of soil that we sow on. And we don't know where the seed is going to go, what kind of soil it's going gonna, it's gonna to fall on. So we just cast it everywhere. Now, we've been doing some construction in our house. I'm aware of this whole idea of sowing uh, grass. I mean, when I was sowing grass, it was, a little, it was a little windy that day. So, I mean, it's going on the street. It's going on the sidewalk. It's going in the flower beds. I didn't realize that at the time, but as the grass started coming up, I'm like, ha-ha, there's grass in the flower beds. Uh, and it went everywhere, and I tried to control it, but, you know, still you have to get coverage. You have to, you know, you have to waste some seed. Please know in being a witness that there will be time wasted, that there will be time, time wasted, that you will likely talk to many people about Jesus before, uh, there's, before you actually get to reap a harvest. Paul says this, some sow, some water, and some reap the harvest. You might not see the, the outcome of your words for quite some time, if ever, but sometimes you get to reap a harvest. Back in one of the church I was, I was serving before coming to, to this particular church, um, we would do a lot of contact evangelism. Of course, that's not what I'm talking about today, but but we did that. We did contact evangelism where we'd go on campus and we would share Christ with anyone who wanted to hear. And so we'd just go up to people that were sitting by themselves and say, hey, can we? We're just out today talking to people about Jesus. Can we talk to you for a few minutes? And they would either say yes or no. Surprisingly, most people said yes. And then we'd often ask them those two diagnostic questions which were popularized by Robert Coleman back in the 1960s. Those diagnostic questions you ask, if you were to die today, do you think you'd go to heaven or hell? And the second one is, if you were to go to heaven and God was to say to you, because most people say I would go to heaven, if you were to go to heaven and God was to say to you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you tell him? And by those two questions, you can kind of tell where people are at spiritually. So we had been down on campus doing evangelism, contact evangelism. We usually talk to a dozen people a day. We do it twice a week. So we're talking to two dozen people a week. I can't remember during this time anybody else who gave their lives to the Lord at that moment, except for this one. We're on our way. We're done. We're on our way back home, and there's a girl, a young girl, sitting at the library on the library steps. And I say to the person I'm with, I say, let's stop and talk to this one before we go. He goes, you know what? We've been out for a long time. I got to get going. I'm, I'm saying, I tell him, you know what? This will go really fast. She'll probably say she's not interested and we'll leave. So we go and the first, we have a little chit-chat and say what we're doing there and that sort of thing. I have a little chit-chat and then I say to her, I say, answer me this. If you were to die today, do you think you would go to heaven or hell? She goes, I go to hell. I'm like, now I don't know what to say. That's, there's no outline for that. I'm like, you think you would go to hell? What if I could tell you that you could know for certain that you have eternal life? Would you be interested? 
She says, yeah, I'd be interested in that. End up leading her to the Lord. She ends up giving her life to the Lord right there on the library, on the library steps, becomes an active member in our, in our mem- uh, ministry for, for a very long time until I lost, lost track of her. But I mean, she was really saved in that moment. But do you know how much bread we casted? Do you know how much, I mean, seed we casted? I mean, we're casting all kinds of seed for at least for what we could see, one, one harvest. But in my opinion, it's worth it. In my opinion, it's worth it. Because you don't know. You don't know who's going to receive. You don't know who's, who's, who's open and who's not open. And so we sow, we cast our seed, we keep casting our seed. Here's the last one. So we got knowing, we got going, we got sowing, and then this last one is showing, showing. In my judgment, this is really one of the greatest attributes of the witness of Jesus Christ. I wanted to talk about sowing first because we just can't show. There is this aspect that at some point we're going to have to say something, and so that is vitally important. But I think the most effective part of our witness is what we show other people around us. I'm thinking of the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed. He took the towel and the basin and he went and washed his disciples' feet. I often think about this. Even Judas's feet, he washed. He washed everybody's feet and he says, I've left you an example for you to do likewise. What a powerful example. Nobody wanted to wash anybody's feet. That was like the lowest job and the smelliest and oftentimes the stinkiest job. Nobody wanted to do that. And I have to imagine that that basin was right by the door. When you come in, you clean your feet off. That basin was there along with the towel and everybody walked right by it. They walked right by it. That's too low for me. That's too low. And when Jesus got up from the meal, went over to the basin that everybody had passed by, took the basin and took the towel and began to wash wash people's feet. Oh my goodness. Are you kidding me? It's like my mentor, my boss, who years ago I replaced and I thought this was a pretty prestigious prestigious job that I had. And so, so we were called as a group, we were called to some, some what I thought were menial menial activities. I thought, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go do something more important, more fitting for my position. I don't know what I did. I probably just went and hid somewhere. And uh, so all the rest of the group were doing these menial things, you know. I think it was collating, collating papers for a conference. And after a while, I got bored of what I was doing, so I came back down to see what everybody else was doing. And there was my mentor, there was the, the person I had replaced, the, the guy that I looked up to, the guy that I thought was, you know, just, just even today when I hear him preach, I just want to get saved all over again. I mean, he just has that effect on me. And there he was collating the papers. Guys, it transformed me in that moment. That example transformed me. That, yeah, that's what I want to be right there. I want to be a servant leader. That's right what he's doing right there. That's what I want to do. So Paul writes to Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians. And he says to him, here we have the verse up here. He says this. 
for our gospel to not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, you also became imitators. The word in the Greek is the word where we get our word mimic, mimic. You became imitators of us and the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with joy, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example, an example. This word is topos. It means, it means like a, it means like a, um, what does it mean? It means like a, it means like a, it's like a cutty, it's like a cookie cutter. You know, it's a, it's a template. You became a, you became a template to others. Imitators of us, the Lord, having received much tribulation, joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, for the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything, for they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols and served the living God. Paul is saying this, you guys became mimics of us. You became mimics of us, and then you became a pattern. That was the word I was looking for. You became a pattern for other people. So much so that we have no need to say anything. In all of Achaia and all of Macedonia, the word has spread by example. That is the power of example. Now, each one of our lives, we are an example to people around us, for good or bad. This is why it's so important that we have that personal relationship with Jesus so that he can transform us and change us and continue to mold us into his image. That's, that's why we have that because that makes us the example that we should be. But we're all an example. Unfortunately or fortunately, we don't always hear about the example that we are. But I just love these stories. I just love these stories. When I hear stories of people who are just living the normal Christian life, and they affect someone so powerfully just because of just living their life. Really, I think this is the biggest part of being a witness. Because there's only really a few of us that are evangelists. There's really only a few of us that are, that are super gifted. Most of us are just normal people living out the normal Christian life. But that can be a powerful effect as well. Let me illustrate with this story. So again, this was when our kids were, were very young. We had a friend from high school who, she was, just, she was just adorable. She was just an adorable girl. I didn't know her that well, but Sandy and I both knew her to some degree. She graduated with us, and soon after graduation, she wasn't really the dating type. She didn't really, I didn't see her at any parties growing up or anything like that, but somehow she got involved with this guy and she got pregnant and the relationship ended almost immediately. And from that relationship, she had a single child, a daughter. She never married. As far as I know, she never even dated again. She's always been a single mom and now she's, she's our age. But we always had a soft spot for her daughter, Emily. 
And Emily, growing up, was like her mom, just a shy kid, a, a, a beautiful little girl, but just, just shy and reserved and to herself. Well, my, my daughter, Amy, befriended Emily. She lived, Emily lived in our neighborhood, befriended Emily, and we had Emily in our home, and then we invited her to church, and then we took her to children's crusades and all kinds of things with Emily. And I never really knew where Emily stood with the Lord. In fact, I thought when we moved to Madison that Emily would stop going to church and, you know, just, just go on with the normal, normal life. So when we moved to, the, to Madison, um, my daughter was 14, and so Emily was roughly the same age. And this was so hard on my daughter. This friendship meant so much to her. And leaving all her friends behind, her school friends, and moving to a new school, a new place where you don't know anybody. My daughter Amy, she would cry every night. She would cry every night. We'd wake up in the morning, and there'd be tissues. She had the top bunk. My younger daughter had the bottom bunk, and there'd be, she'd throw tissues off, their, off her bed at night. You know, and she'd be wiping her eyes and throwing tissues off. We'd come in her bedroom, there'd be tissues all over the floor. We were seriously considering sending her back home to live with her grandparents because this was just too traumatic for her. Eventually she began to make friends and, and uh, things evened out a little bit for her here in, in uh, Madison. So when my daughter was 32, so this is almost 20 years later, this note appears on her Facebook page from Emily. One person. That was all it took to lead me to where I am now. One person to invite me over after school, to ask me to stay for dinner with their family, to invite me to church, to invite me to camp, to celebrate with me when I accepted Jesus. I remember her dad praying at dinner and thanking God that I was there with them. I remember her mom singing in the kitchen and practicing songs for church. I remember when her brothers or sisters would do something, get disciplined, and then get a hug and a I love you just like full house. (laughs) I remember sometimes I could I could not I couldn't stay at her house very long because it was family night. One person becoming my friend, and now I have the hope of eternal life. She introduced me to the one who would lead me through the hardest days of my life, the most joyful days, and the days where I simply had to choose to keep moving forward. She moved, speaking of my daughter, she moved right before middle school. It was the first time I remember experiencing a loss that shattered my tiny world. For a while, we sent each other letters in the form of tapes as we recorded our voices and sent them back and forth. We talked on the phone over the years. We visited each other at times. Life changed, and we both moved forward. Friendship was never easy for me. Maybe that's why it was so hard when she left. But she left me with the most important and significant gift I've ever received. She introduced me to the one who would always stay with me, who would never move, 
and would always welcome me home. I'm married now to a man who loves Jesus and longs to follow wherever he leads. I stay at home with my little girl and sing songs that might turn her heart towards God. I pray that she would be a child who loves others and leads them to Jesus. That we might be a family that sets a desire for closeness with Christ in the hearts of others. Whenever I think back on my journey as a believer, it begins with her. I can't imagine walking through this life apart from my Lord and Savior, and I will be forever grateful. And I hope that one day I might be that person for someone else. So several years later, several, several years passed, when we saw this posted, my daughter sent it to us, and we contacted Emily and just said, thank you for sharing that with us. It's just so meaningful, so powerful. So here, I guess this to be five or six years later, Sandy was at home and she was having kind of a down daycare day sort of thing. She gets this text from Emily. I was just in my kitchen washing some dishes and singing along with Mandisa while my girls played with some neighbor boys in the living room. I had such a lovely flashback to being at your house while you were singing Jesus music in the kitchen. And then my eyes filled with tears over how thankful I am that God gave me that time with your family. I was praying that God would use our family to, I was praying that God would use our family to leave his mark on these boys. Just as he used your family to leave his mark on mine. Now, I would have been thrilled if Emily would have wrote and said, Greg, that message on the five divergent theories of the atonement, (laughs) I have never forgotten that message. I have a recording. I listen to it every day. But Emily didn't remember anything we said, probably. But she remembered who we were. Listen, guys, everybody around you is going to remember who you are. They may never remember what you've told them, but they'll remember who you are. For the sake of the world, let God's fire burn in you. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. If you wouldn't mind just closing your eyes, shutting yourself in with the Lord, I just want to pray a couple things here in the end. The reason I have you do this is just so you just shut the outside world out. It's so important. Just close your eyes, and this is just a holy place. Just you and the Lord. You're here this morning, you haven't thought for quite a while about what it means to be a witness for Jesus. In fact, if statistics prove true, uh, uh, more than a majority of us have never led one person to Christ. And 
almost half of us um, have never um, shared Christ in the last year, even, even in, a, in a little bit. But today, by the Spirit, you've been reminded that this is something that the Lord has called you to. And you want to be the witness that he has intended you to be. I just want to pray for you this morning. Lord Jesus, here we are, your people, imperfect, broken in so many ways. But Lord, we know that you can take these broken pots, these chipped pots, cracked pots, and do something beautiful with them. That our adequacy is not found within ourselves, but our adequacy is found in you. And so, Lord, by your gracious work of your Holy Spirit, come and stir us up once again. Give us a mandate. Give us an intentionality about our lives lives that brings Jesus into the moment. Lord, let it be the case. I pray for those that are struggling to come out of the closet, to tell those around them that they are Jesus' people, that they follow the one who died for our sins and rose on the third day. Lord, give them the power, give them the strength to do that, Lord. Make them more effective in this life, I pray. And as your eyes are closed and you're still shut in with God, I know that there are several here this morning that haven't made that original commitment to the Lord where you take yourself off the throne of your life and you put Jesus in his rightful place. You put the Lord as the the king of your life. And then you take the secondary spot and you say, say, Lord, here is my life. Do with it what you will. Take me, save me from my sins and bring me home to live with you forever when this life is over. If you're here today and you've never made that commitment, but you want to do it this morning, I know you've been around for a while. I've known you've been in and out of these doors. And you know, you know kind of what it's about, but you've, been, you've just been hanging around the cross. You've just been hanging around the church, but now it's time to make the commitment and you're ready to do it. Just pray this after me. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner, but I know you have come to save sinners. And so, Lord, I'm praying that you would save me, that you would change me, that you would mold me into your image, that you would make me the man or woman of God that you've intended. I'm done running. I'm done running. Now I'm running towards you. Lord, save me. Bring me home. Forgive me of my sins. Bring me home to live with you forever. I pray it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, this is how we're going to end. Curtis and the worship team are going to lead us in one last song. We'll have some songs after that. But I would encourage you, if you're here today and you've made that decision to follow Jesus, that you come forward and share that with someone. This is really important that you solidify that commitment by sharing it with someone. I'm going to be right down here in the front. I'd love to pray with you if you've made a commitment for the first time. Just come on right down here. I'll just pray with you for a, for a moment. Just solidify that in your life. We'll have other prayer teams here as well. If you have any needs this morning, we really enjoy this part of our service when we're able to pray
for others. So if you have any needs, please feel free to come down and do that. You can be dismissed at any time. If you want to sing this last song with us, that would be great. Anytime after that, just feel free to leave. So let's, let's sing this song together before we leave.